everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the podcast, The Shift. I'm Shay Candish, the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association's General Secretary and the host of this show. This week, I'm joined by Charlotte Ismay. Charlotte is a drug and alcohol nurse in the Hunter region. Charlotte started out her nursing career working in paediatric intensive care before transitioning to work in drug and alcohol. Charlotte's passionate about dispelling misconceptions and stigma around substance abuse within nursing as well as in the wider community to improve support for those who seek treatment. Welcome to the show, Charlotte. Thank you, Shay. Thanks very much for having me. Very happy to be here. Great. It's great to have you. So look, tell us a little bit about how you landed in nursing. What was kind of your um, pathway that brought you to nursing as a profession? Uh, Certainly. Uh, Whilst it wasn't something I wanted to do initially, uh, and well, it was sort of always in the background there. Um, I grew up in a uh, a health family. Um, My dad is a country GP, my mum is a nurse. And so I was always surrounded by a clinic or a hospital. Um, After taking a a few years off um, after high school, traveling and deciding what I wanted to do, um, I definitely decided that nursing was definitely the way uh, and because I could see how rewarding uh, the profession was working in health, um, particularly in a rural regional area, uh, how rewarding uh, that is. And it might sound strange, but even the the sterile smell of a clinic or a hospital feels nostalgic to me. It feels comfortable. It feels like home. Um, It's funny you say that, you know, when I get the opportunity to go back into a hospital, I get very excited about the soap (laughs) for all those reasons, the smell, the kind of, you know, particularly if the Chlorhex soap's around, you know, that kind of thing. Like it really, it's funny the things that sort of take you back. Absolutely. Definitely (laughs) smells one of those big things uh, for me too. But um, yeah, very nostalgic, uh, Mm. makes me feel young again, but also invigorated um, Mm. as a nurse. Yeah. And so when you made the decision you were going to go and do nursing, what was the reaction from your family? Really positive. Yeah. Uh, Really, really, really positive. Um, Sort of after having a few years off, I think they were just relieved I was going to do something. (laughs) Um, I did work and travel, uh, but it was extremely positive um, and particularly as I said having a, um, a family working in health mm. um, got some good pointers uh, and help on the way. Yeah I was going to say were there any kind of words of advice for you? Just positive mostly yeah. uh, nothing that comes to mind um, completely but just as I said before just how rewarding it can be um, yeah. Yeah, nice. And so you started off your life in uh, your nursing life, I should say, in um, Peds ICU. Tell us a bit about what took you there and what your experience was like. Yeah, certainly. So uh, before going into intensive care, I sort of did as a very junior nurse, a transition program in paediatric wards. Mm -hmm. Um, And in area I'm in in Newcastle um, pediatric ICU was being built and thought that I'd go up there Um, I did have to spend some time in adult ICU getting used to everything uh, first uh, which was absolutely fine and so yeah eventually made my way across after developing those important and fundamental critical care skills um, 
in conjunction with the um, paediatric knowledge um, that I learned on the wards throughout this program, uh, throughout my transition program in paediatrics, uh, I was able to go to the paediatric ICU, yeah. And so what was it about um, both ICU and paediatric nursing that you were drawn to? Yes, the adrenaline, love being busy, a high energy type of person uh, to yeah. get things done. Um, and I, an ICU and critical care comes with a high level of autonomy as well. Mm. Um, you're with your patients, um, you're using your critical thinking skills, uh, and that's what I really uh, enjoyed as well, being challenged, um, but also having that ability to um, work autonomously uh, as well and, and being busy. Yeah. And so lots of job satisfaction. How was it? You know, I would imagine, um, particularly I've not worked in Peds ICU. I did do a small stint in Peds for a little while. Um, but I would imagine Peds ICU is particularly unique in, um, you know, the interaction that you're having with families there, right? Like when a child is, you know, really vulnerable, really unwell in a Peds ICU, the families must be at a particularly difficult point, you know, in their own lives when they're having to kind of see that their own child unwell. So how how did you manage that? Certainly. Um, very, very good point. Managing, I don't think there's any real right answer uh, mm -hmm. to how to manage these situations. Uh, I worked in an extremely skilled, supportive team, um, which sort of helped get through some of those uh, difficult conversations um, and difficult times for the family. Mm. Um, Person-centred and family-centred care is a core value of nursing, uh, but it's particularly uh, important and profound uh, in paediatric nursing um, mm. um, and, and particularly uh, in ICU as well. Um, children, uh, babies, you know, have that difficulty in communicating in the first place, but, you know, when they're intubated and un unable to, you know, communicate at all mm -hmm. uh, in that particular way, uh, it, it can be quite daunting for the families. Uh, so lots of support uh, for the families involving the whole team, multidisciplinary team. We had excellent uh, paediatric ICU social workers as well uh, to help support the families. Um, but lots and lots of teamwork and multidisciplinary care. There's no right or wrong way, uh, I guess, uh, in my experience to handle these situations. Um, and of course, everyone's going to react differently as well. Yeah. It's about managing your own personal responses as well. Yeah, I can imagine. And even, you know, I think what always struck me, um, you know, I think as nurses, you have some sense of the impact of, um, you know, a parent being in hospital, uh, for example, when they're a main carer. But what I really, I suppose, reflected on was the impact of having a child being in hospital and the financial impact that that would often create for a family. Or, you know, you may have even seen families that didn't live locally that had to kind of pull up stumps and move into Newcastle while their child was in hospital, you know, the impact on their job, that kind of thing. Um, did you see a bit of that? Oh, absolutely. Um, the health service, the health area that I work in is absolutely massive um, mm. and, you know, covers an area, I think, sort of the size of the UK. Mm. Um, 
and so there's lots and lots of you know you're the main tertiary hospital um, for, for, for the area and you know one of only three pediatric intensive care units in the state I believe mm -hmm. yeah. uh, so it's a a lot of uh, families uprooted as well and I'm sure that happens a lot in in Sydney as well yeah yeah and you know not only I, I just always felt for the families you know dealing with a sick child but you're also dealing with can we pay the mortgage can we pay the bills what do we do with the other kids all of that kind of stuff like it's really you know so many factors so having good social work support must have just been so critical for you to be able to do your job well too uh, certainly and you know um with other services like Ronald McDonald House and other things like this, um, uh, able to provide lots of support to these families as well. Mm. So tell me a bit about what took you out of Peds ICU then, because obviously you talk about it with a real passion, but you're not there now. Yes. Um, I would never have thought I would end up in a sort of a drug and alcohol or addiction field. Mm -hmm. um, to begin with uh, when I first started my career and, and pediatrics was certainly my focus. Um, mm -hmm. However, as we were speaking about managing before, um, I guess there's a lot of vicarious trauma um, that's experienced um, when dealing with sick kids mm. um, that eventually took its toll um, as well. And, you know, whilst I was sort of managing, um, I thought, you know, this is, this is, a right time to to step back yeah. um they can be very very busy workplace well every workplace is a busy workplace in nursing um but it was something that I was struggling with personally and I take my hat out to off to people who can be there for decades and decades I think mm. it's absolutely wonderful um so decided to start looking around wanted to stay in the public health system mm -hmm. and sort of kept my eyes at eye out for opportunity it took me a good year to mm -hmm. sort of find something from looking to leaving mm -hmm. um intensive care to find something that looked fantastic uh in my eyes mm -hmm. um and also having said that uh as well um you know I have a lived experience uh with substance use not myself personally uh but mm -hmm. a very close family member and mm -hmm. having said that I'd like to acknowledge anyone with a lived experience with substance use and the contribution they make to drug and alcohol nursing and, and research as well. Yeah. Uh, it's extremely important. Uh, and combined with wanting to leave ICU and having that lived experience, I thought it could be just a wonderful opportunity to take a new career path. And so you took the leap, you went into drug and alcohol and how, how did it go? Uh, it has been absolutely life-changing um, going in uh, even with a, a small amount of knowledge uh, still very naive when I first started there um, a few years ago uh, and it has absolutely just changed my life uh, and the way that I view substance use uh, misuse uh, and it has become very important to me to sort of break down um, stigma yeah. uh, but also uh, barriers that people with substance use disorder face uh, in not just accessing healthcare but other things in the community as well. And so you were saying that you have a personal experience of someone close in your family 
How did becoming a health practitioner in this area change your outlook compared to, you know, as I, I suppose you expect that you're going to come into this field and learn lots of new things, new specialty. So, you know, you would expect that. But given you already had personal experience, what was so life-changing and so different about doing it through the lens of a nurse compared to when you were a loved one? Certainly. I suppose when you have someone who's who's going through um, a substance use disorder and the challenges that go with that, uh, you're there for emotional support. In my experience, uh, as a family member, not a lot of information about support groups or anything like that. We were sort of supporting each other mm-hmm. uh, as family members throughout the situation. Um, and then going in as a nurse, you know, I can start to recognise things like, oh, you know, this person may have been going through withdrawal a substance withdrawal at this stage, um, you know, perhaps it wasn't a mental health concern. Uh, mm. It could have been intoxication or withdrawal uh, and things like this as well. So just thinking more about the, the broad picture um, and also just as well, the co-use of substance. A lot of people who uh, and this is a generalisation, but a lot of people who are dependent on one sub generally have some co-use there with other things mm-hmm. and just sort of the risks and dangers um, around that as well um, mm-hmm. and the importance of maintaining safety and harm minimisation as well. Mm. Things I certainly didn't know as a, as a family member, even as a nurse, an experienced nurse, uh, things that um, weren't quite clear to me, yeah. Mm. That's really interesting. Um, and. I suppose to me the, the kind of flow onto that is now with this kind of new knowledge and being armed with all of this new information through the lens of a nurse looking at, um, you know, substance abuse and drug and alcohol abuse, how do you now uh, look to families and, you know, what does it change the way that you um, care for the patient that you're caring for, but also thinking about the families given you've been in that situation yourself too? Oh, certainly. Um, there's, in my experience, there is a big uh, you, misconception, I guess is the right word with families that when someone comes to seek treatment or perhaps go to a withdrawal management unit um, and then even perhaps rehab that it'll be fixed, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that everything will be changed and fixed. Um, and that can sort of be a bit disheartening where it takes two, three, four, ten goes um, to sort of see any sort of change um, in people with substance use disorder. So having that experience is providing reassurance, um, you know, relapse is and lapse uh, back into substance use after seeking treatment uh, is very real, Mm. but there's supports to access uh, for, for families um, as well who, are, who, who, who may be struggling with a family member or a loved one with addiction, but also that these supports are here. People can access drug and alcohol treatment as much or as little as they need to. Mm. It's, it's there and it may not be a quick fix. Mm. 
And so um, how do you find the system kind of works for people, you know, when you say they can access it as often as they need? Does that in practice actually play out? You know, do we have enough resources in the right places for people to be able to access services at the time that they need it and at the frequency that they need? That's a good point. Um, Just like, I guess, with any area in healthcare, when you need treatment or an operation, there's going to be a bit of a wait uh, to access treatment. Um, Resources across all areas of nursing and health are very finite, and that's true in uh, drug and alcohol as well. Um, So you haven't found the magical unicorn in terms of a workplace, no. No, I just thought I'd, you know, just thought I'd ask the question in case we found a particular place that really was delivering in all the areas that we need for what the patients need. But you tell a very real story, I think, for most of us in health. Having said that, though, we ensure that people, you know, if they do have to wait for for, for treatment, offer harm minimization strategies as well, Mm -hmm. uh, whether that be, you know, take home naloxone for people with Um, opioid use disorder, Mm -hmm. uh, which reverses overdose, um, provide education about, um, you know, overdose response training. There are things that we can help with in the meantime, send out packs um, of information and resources that can be utilised in the meantime as well. So definitely try our best. Of course, like we all do, right? 100%. Uh, There are just naturally some challenges that make our best even more difficult under some circumstances, I think. So tell us a bit about, you know, you're really passionate about reducing stigma. What do you think listeners need to understand? And what, is there anything uh, that we can do, you know, particularly in our own day-to-day practices, potentially if we're interacting with patients that may have substance abuse secondary to whatever it is that they're maybe interacting with the health service around? Um, Is there something that we can all be more mindful of? Certainly. I think from a nursing perspective, um, you know, people with substance use disorders can be quite nervous to access health services. Their drug and alcohol service or, or clinic may be the only place that they trust. So we do do a lot of referring, getting in contact with, you know, setting up appointments with GPs or, um, you know, referral to say a liver specialist for people um, who might need to see a liver specialist for untreated hepatitis C or things like this. They tend to be very nervous about um, accessing other areas of health due to Uh, And the biggest one I see is, you know, I presented to the ED and they thought I was drug seeking. um, So I left or they didn't take my uh, presenting complaints uh, seriously. Mm -hmm. uh, And so they leave, uh, which is obviously not ideal because they're taking, they're doing something that they feel uncomfortable with in the first place. I think that it is important in nursing and health that if someone is presenting with a substance use disorder to investigate uh, perhaps their presenting complaint uh, before maybe jumping to the fact that they might be drug seeking. I think that's a very negative uh, approach. Mm. Uh, And I've certainly firsthand seen someone Mm. presenting with a people presenting with serious illnesses that have been mistaken for drug seeking behavior as well. Uh, so I think it's um, 
look at or and contact your local drug and alcohol service as well. Um, there is DASIS is a 24 uh, seven drug and alcohol line for health people to call, uh, people who work in health to call if they've got any issues or concerns or need advice. Um, and, you know, I would utilize these resources or the on-call addiction medicine specialist uh, if there's some things that you're uncertain of. Um, if you're on their medical record and can see that they are engaged with the drug and alcohol treatment, it might be worth, you know, giving a call uh, to see what their normal presentations like mm. um, or and some major hospitals as well have consultation liaison drug and alcohol teams as well so maybe uh, with with the patient's consent getting their consent uh, to perhaps see um, these services as well mm. lots of very useful kind of practical tips there I think that's great um, and I agree certainly um, I've seen lots of examples of where you know the health system itself just doesn't necessarily support people who are coming in with, um, you know, substance abuse history. Uh, so I think where we can do better, we should. Absolutely. And there's a lot of concept. I mean, my most of my experience is in opioid treatment. So I tend to go back to using opioid treatment as an example. Mm. Um, but, you know, m- medications to treat opioid use disorder like methadone or buprenorphine, uh, often seen in the public as, oh, you know, they're swapping one drug for another. Mm. Uh, and these negative public views also aren't helpful because, you know, even these medications have definitively saved lives. They've, mm. um, you know, reduced overdose. They've reduced the risk of bloodborne viruses from sharing needles. Um, it is a medication. It's a treatment uh, just like we would take for blood pressure if we had blood pressure issues. It's it's a life-saving treatment. Mm. Look, it's really interesting. I um, had a few other podcast guests recently who uh, came along from the injecting clinic and they spoke about, you know, uh, I suppose the normalisation of, um, of illness, really. It's just another type of illness. But their response I found really remarkable because they spoke about carrying naloxone like a parent would carry an EpiPen. Uh, and I think we can all kind of um, reflect on that is exactly what we would do. You know, if you had a child with an allergy or had a family member with an allergy, you would be sure that you were armed to be able to support them. Uh, and, you know, they really, these nurses spoke really from that same kind of position of um, supporting someone with an illness. Uh, and that was what they did. And, you know, it really um, stopped me in my tracks as well, because I just thought, wow, that's really remarkable. Oh, certainly. Um, you know, needle, just talking about harm minimization, carrying naloxone as you would any other type of life-saving medication, because naloxone is absolutely a life-saving medication. Um, you know, even offering clean needles, um, alcohol swabs, sterile water for injection for people who do choose uh, mm-hmm. to continue to, to use substances is also a good thing. You're reducing mm. that risk of harm. Uh, you know, if people don't want to stop uh, or they they enjoy doing it, at least we can make it as safe as possible. Mm, absolutely. Uh, is there anything else that we haven't covered that you think we should cover off? Well, I will just mention the um, Special Commission of Inquiry into ICE um, mm. or the ICE Inquiry as well. Um, 
there was a bit of inaction um, on those recommendations for a while, uh, but there has been some funding that ha is going to people who use ICE um, across the state. Um, and I think that is going to be extremely positive. And, and you know, this money is going into diversion services like um, Drug Court um, and Merit, which is magistrates early release into treatment as well, um, to provide support uh, to people that use ICE as well, as well as stimulant treatment clinics as well. Uh, so I think that is going to be positive. But also just for people considering uh, a career in addiction or drug and alcohol, there's a lot of different things that you can do. So it's not just working in a methadone clinic. Um, if that's how people, you know, if that's a common misconception, it may not be. But there's lots of other wonderful services such as uh, SUPS, which is substance use and um, pregnancy imperating service where you can support uh, mothers in pregnancy and, um, or who have young children with substance use disorders. There's youth drug and alcohol teams as well, as well as drug court and merit, uh, the court diversion services as well, uh, where you get to help people with legal issues and their substance use as well. If you like to work clinically and shift work suits you, there's withdrawal management units. So it's not just a in the community as well. Um, you can still work in hospitals and work uh, clinically in withdrawal management units as well. It's extremely rewarding and lots and lots of opportunities. And lots of um, variation as well by the sounds of it. So for people that might be interested, sounds like it has got something for everyone really um, in amongst all of those different options. So uh, sounds like, you know, if you're thinking about it, it's worth giving it a bit of extra thought and, um, you know, are there any other kind of good resources or, um, uh, you know, maybe websites or materials that you would recommend people get in touch with or any professional groups um, in this space that they might be able to go and find more information if they are curious? Certainly. Um, the professional bodies in drug and alcohol, there's DANA, which is the Australian professional body for drug and alcohol nurses. It's Drug and Alcohol Nurses of Australasia. Uh, has really good information on drug and alcohol nursing and keeping up to date in the drug and alcohol nursing profession. So I highly recommend it. checking that out if you're looking for a career in drug and alcohol, uh, as well as APSAD, uh, which is a bit more broad. It's for researchers uh, as well as clinicians. Uh, and there's lots and lots of uh, information there uh, for people wanting to have a look at new, new research uh, into addiction and drug and alcohol. I mean, there's lots of things coming out at the moment. You know, vaping is a very polarizing thing um, as well. So this can provide uh, lots of information if you're if you're seeking a career uh, or opportunities in uh, drug and alcohol nursing or in health in general. Awesome. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today, Charlotte. It's been lovely chatting with you. Absolutely fascinating. And I think the uh, listeners will get something really interesting out of your story. So thank you for sharing. Thank you. We'll be right back after a quick word about the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association's continuing professional education program. Did you know the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association has a new online CPD portal? With over 200 free online CPD courses across a wide range of nursing and midwifery topics, 
plus the ability to track your learning. It's definitely worth checking out. If you're a New South Wales NMA member, just log in to the member portal, Member Central, to access this program. And if you're not yet a member, make sure you join today. That's it for this episode of The Shift with Shay. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Charlotte and look forward to seeing you in a fortnight with more stories from the world of nursing and midwifery. If you haven't done so yet, be sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. And if you have an interesting story you'd like to share with us, let us know by emailing us on the shift podcast at nswnma.asn.au. This podcast was recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay respects to Elders past, present and emerging and recognise that this land was never ceded. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.